We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 502 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Tuesday February 7th 2023 and have you made your offer yet yes your offer have you put in your bid yet no not for the commanders but for one of the homes of the commanders co-owners and co-CEOs Dan and Tanya Snyder, they are selling their estate in Potomac, Maryland. The asking price, $49 million. What a bargain! The home includes five bedrooms and 13 and a half bathrooms. Also features a gym, a spa, a library, a wine cellar, and a theater. Uh, Dan originally purchased the majority of the land in 2000 from, get this, Jordan's King Hussein and Queen Noor. Uh, Dan then purchased six adjoining lots to expand the property. Now, if you're wondering, well, this must be another sign that the Snyders are selling majority ownership of the commanders. Well, maybe. Uh, but not necessarily. The home, per Washington Business Journal, has been privately offered for several years. Uh, the Snyders, in 2021, bought a home in Alexandria, Virginia, for $48 million. A record price for a home in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, if that home also goes on the market, uh, then yeah, that would be truly significant. Uh, but yeah, a cool $49 million for Dan's and Tanya's spot in Potomac, Maryland. Who wouldn't pay 49 mil to be able to say that he or she lived where Dan and Tanya lived? Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We follow Washington, D.C. area sports so that you don't have to, even when that means following the D.C. area real estate market. Uh, well, whoever ends up owning the commanders, uh, he or she is going to need the team to improve its offensive line. Was anything about the Commanders in their 2022 season more disappointing than their offensive line? It collapsed. It fell on its face. It dropped off a cliff. So what should the team be thinking with its offensive line? Well, coming up shortly, I will perform a thorough examination, a deep dive on the commander's offensive line with a man who knows both offensive line play and the commanders quite well, Mitch Tischler of NBC Sports Washington. Uh, we are going to go through the line spot by spot, significant player by significant player, and assess who should be back who should be gone, and what the team's approach with the line should be. No position in football, let alone sports, matters more than quarterback, of course. But in football, after quarterback, in my opinion, uh, nothing matters more than the offensive line. The offensive line is the platform 
on which your offense performs. A great offensive line can do wonders for you, and a bad offensive line can ruin you. And the latter was the case for the commander's offense this season. Additionally, next segment, I will address the bizarre and ultra-confusing scenario right now with commander's defensive backs coach, Chris Harris, who technically still is the commander's defensive backs coach, even though we on Monday night had yet another report of him potentially taking another job. Uh, This as the commanders, even though they are his current employer, may soon be two employers ago for Harris. Confused? Uh, You should be. I'll do my best to explain. Uh, Also on the show, the Wizards, uh, they on Monday night got demolished. A 114-91 loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers at Capital One Arena as the Wiz were without both Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma. The NBA trade deadline is on Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Will the Wiz blow it all up? Almost certainly not. Should the Wiz be seriously considering blowing it all up? Absolutely. Uh, And I will talk Nationals and Orioles. I've got some thoughts on where we are with Nats center fielder Victor Robles of the Nats on Monday afternoon, announcing that they had agreed with Robles on a one-year contract for the 2023 season with a club option for the 2024 season, avoiding arbitration. And I will react to the stunning Orioles news on Monday, intra-family litigation for Orioles ownership. The Angelos family apparently is over. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from one of the top coaching minds in the Washington, D.C. area, Chris Lunn. Uh, He has been Walt Whitman High School's varsity men's basketball head coach for nearly 20 years. He's done an outstanding job. Uh, Georgetown should be calling Coach Lunn's agent. Uh, Anyway, writes Coach Lunn regarding this past Friday's show being episode 500 of the pod. Congrats on 500. Awesome accomplishment. Thanks for the endless hours of entertainment during my neighborhood walks in Bethesda. Your process-oriented approach shows great strategery. Here is to 500 more. Well, thank you, coach. And if anyone can appreciate great strategery, it is you. Strategery. Yes, strategery. Thank you. Uh, email from Dr. CCB on where Commander's head coach Ron Rivera was last week. Uh, yeah, so Ron participated in the PGA Tours AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Also participating at Pebble Beach was Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Uh, at least he is a Packers quarterback for now. Uh, writes Dr. CCB, with all of the rumors swirling that Rodgers may not be back with Green Bay, do you think that was a coincidence or planned by Ron. Is it possible that he was trying to get some FaceTime with Aaron about coming to Washington? Uh, Thank you for the email, doctor. Uh, And we also can throw this into the mix. Uh, Rod Rivera, like Aaron Rodgers, went to Cal for whatever that's worth. Hey, it's possible that Ron made it a point to talk to Aaron at some point over the last few days. I mean, it is looking like the Packers may be trading Aaron Rodgers. And I know that we have heard that to at least some extent the previous two offseasons, but this offseason is feeling different. ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on January 29th reported, quote, league sources believe the franchise prefers to move on from Rodgers, just as it once did with Brett Favre. Those sources also believe that Rodgers is well aware of the Packers' feelings on the situation, end quote. And Uh, Aaron Rodgers, not exactly shy about flirting with the notion of being traded. Did you see or hear this? This was Rodgers at Pebble Beach with CBS's Amanda Renner during a weather delay. Take a listen. It's fun to be here. It's such a great event. Fans are amazing. A lot of people yell on different teams they want me to come to next year, um, which has been fun uh, because we got a little uh, inside bet going about which team's going to have the most fans, but uh, it's been fun. I was going to say that for my last question, but you're leading me right into it. Is there maybe like a favorite color, favorite city that you might have on your mind for next season? I'm just going to say that the uh, predominant uh, team that we hear as we're walking is Raiders. 
A lot of a lot of Raider fans are encouraging me. A lot of Devante misses you comments. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So we're having some fun with it. It's a great uh, you know great event for the fans to come out here, and hopefully we can get back on the course. Listen, if you want to break some news with us here on CBS, we would love for that to happen. But just think about it. You don't have to answer now. <laughs> yeah. So how about that? <laughs> Aaron Rodgers openly talking about the Las Vegas Raiders, openly flirting with the Raiders, openly winking at the Raiders. Uh, the Packers last March signed Rodgers to a three-year, $150 million contract extension. Uh, Rodgers for the 2023 season has a guaranteed salary of $59.465 million. <laughs> and, and yet he's talking like that on national television. Um, so yeah, it may well be that the Packers want him gone and that he wants to be gone. Look, uh, we as Washington fans should be open to just about anything at quarterback, let alone an all-time great like Aaron Rodgers. But am I wrong in saying that I'm not in love with the idea of the commanders trading for Aaron Rodgers, assuming that they even could, which is another conversation, because he surprisingly does not have a no-trade clause in his contract. So he contractually can't dictate uh, where he goes, and it is hard to see the Packers trading him within the NFC. But Aaron Rodgers, okay, he's entering his age 40 season. His 2022 season was the worst season of his career as a starting quarterback, he has been disappointing in the playoffs. He has the reputation for being distant and for not being a great leader. Every offseason now with him is a drama. I don't know. Uh, am I crazy for saying that the commanders shouldn't be falling all over themselves to give up multiple first-round picks to trade for the guy? Uh, now, if the commanders somehow did trade for Aaron Rodgers, would that be exciting? Absolutely. Would I be going nuts on this podcast? Absolutely. But I do think that a lot of the shine is coming off this guy. Well, before we get to our guest, Mitch Tischler of NBC Sports Washington on the commander's offensive line, uh, we on Monday night had yet another report in the saga of a man who still is the commander's defensive backs coach, Chris Harris. NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB, he on Monday night tweeted the following, quote, the Texans have requested to interview Titans passing game coordinator Chris Harris for their defensive coordinator position per source. Harris also interviewed last week for the 49ers DC spot after accepting the Tennessee job in January, end quote. Uh, yeah, about that. So Chris Harris technically still is the commander's defensive backs coach. If you go to the commander's website, it still lists him as the team's defensive backs coach. And yet, according to Breer, the Houston Texans have requested permission to interview Harris for their defensive coordinator job. Permission from who is my question? Permission from the Commanders or permission from the Tennessee Titans? This Chris Harris situation is so odd. Uh, so he had been or has been Washington's defensive backs coach since January 2020. His name came up for other jobs the last two off seasons. We on January 12th had multiple reports that the Tennessee Titans had requested permission from the commanders to interview Harris for a defensive role on the Titans coaching staff. ESPN NFL insider Jeremy Fowler, he on January 19th tweeted that the Chicago Bears had requested to interview Harris for a defensive role on the Bears coaching staff. We on January 21st had multiple reports that Harris was leaving the commanders to become the Titans pass defense coordinator and cornerbacks coach. We on January 31st had multiple reports that Harris would be interviewing for the San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator job as the Niners' previous defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, has become the Houston Texans head coach. Uh, Albert Breer this past Thursday night tweeted that Harris had interviewed for the Niners' defensive coordinator job on January 31st. And now we have Breer on Monday night reporting that the Texans have requested permission to interview Harris. Again, permission 
from who? <laughs> uh, this is very confusing. If you go to the commander's website, it still lists him as the commander's defensive backs coach, and he is not listed on the Titans' website. And yet, Albert Breer says that the Texans have requested permission to speak with Titans pass game coordinator Chris Harris. Chris Harris, who technically still is employed by the Commanders, has been connected with the Titans, the Bears, the 49ers, and now the Texans over just the last month. Uh, One thing that seems certain is that he's gone from the Commanders, but to which team is anyone's guess? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, if you are looking for ways to grow your business or practice, consider advertising on the Al Galdi podcast. Podcast advertising is very affordable and it works. Uh, email us, see what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. There are many things that our commanders uh, should take away from the two teams that are competing in this Sunday evening Super Bowl. One of those things is that each team has a very good offensive line. Uh, If you go by ESPN's win rate metrics for the 2022 regular season, the Eagles were number 12 in the NFL in team pass block win rate and were number two in the NFL in team run block win rate. The Chiefs were number one in the NFL in team pass block win rate and were number three in the NFL in team run block win rate. Uh, Our commanders, uh, they were number 27 in the NFL in team pass block win rate and were number 19 in the NFL in team run block win rate. Washington's offensive line, which was pretty good in the 2020 season and was very good in the 2021 season, ended up cratering in the 2022 season. So as the commanders remain in the midst of their offensive coordinator search and remain in the midst of ownership uncertainty, what should the team be thinking with its offensive line this offseason? Well, someone who understands offensive line play very well and who knows the commanders very well is the man who joins me now, Mitch Tischler of NBC Sports Washington. You hear him on the Washington Football Talk podcast with J.P. Findlay and Pete Haley. Uh, Mitch actually went to Maryland to play football, uh, but he blew out an ankle and ended up never playing for the Terrapins. You can follow Mitch on Twitter at Mitch underscore Tischler, which is spelled T-I-S-C-H-L-E-R. Hey, Mitch, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you coming on. We all would agree that the commander's offensive line is in need of a major overhaul. Exactly how major would you say? How many new offensive line starters does the team need? I mean, I think a major overhaul. I think uh, I think there should be three or four new starters along that offensive line. I think ultimately, you know, what what should happen and what will happen might be a little bit different. I think we might only see you know, potentially one new starter along the O-line, maybe two. 
But uh, this is a this is a group that I don't want to say bottomed out because there's you never know where the bottom is, but more or less bottomed out uh, last season. And uh, and this is a this is a group that needs a major overhaul uh, from starters through backups through you know long term projects from from the bottom up. You hit on it. There's what should happen, and then there's what will happen. Why don't you think that there will be as much offensive line change for the Commanders as there needs to be? Ultimately, I think um, part of it will come from the uh, questions with ownership and kind of what's going on there and the willingness to spend money and all that, which obviously is the big black cloud that's hanging over Ashburn until we get that figured out. I think loyalty is another, you know, portion of the Ron Rivera era that everyone is getting pretty used to. You know, guys that he knows well, he likes to keep around. Guys who have played hard for him and played well for him in the past are folks that he likes to have in-house. So I think ultimately that might be that might play into it a little bit. I mean, when you look at it, they only have seven offensive linemen uh, under contract for next year. Uh, four of them were starters last year. Uh, Leno, Norwell, Ruyer, and uh, and Cosme. And then they have um, Chris Paul and uh, Sadiq Charles are the last two. So that's kind of your group. That's your core group. Um, to me, I think there's some there's a potential for some cap casualties in there. I think you can look at um, you know uh, uh, Andrew Norwell, who has uh, you know they can save about three million dollars on the cap uh, if they cut him. You know Charles Leno is. Gonna, I think that's part of a bigger discussion. But Charles Leno, they would save about twenty million over the next two years. Um, if they cut him, his, his dead cap hit this year is um, four and a half mil, and next year it's only two and a half. I think they should spend the early part of the draft this year at left tackle. Um, and I think if you go and you get, you know, at 16, the best left tackle on the board, whoever that may be, I don't know that you can afford to keep Leno, Cosme, and Lucas, oh, uh, sorry, Cornelius Lucas, also under contract, um, all in house. Then you'd have kind of four tackles. But of course, you know, then you could have, there's a lot of machinations that you can work through here. So, um, I think that's kind of where you're, where you're sitting. And, uh, you know, Chase Rie, I think is, uh, it's unfortunate the injury situation he's had the past couple of years. I don't look at it as he's injury prone necessarily. I think that part of that has been with the issues that the team has had at guard. So I think he should be back, uh, starting at center and giving you a little bit of veteran presence there. So I think that's kind of where they stand at the moment. You already kind of started this, but let's go through the offensive line. Uh, the Commanders guards uh, who were acquired as unrestricted free agents last offseason. Left guard Andrew Norwell last March and right guard Trey Turner last May. Uh, the team signed Norwell to a two-year contract. Turner, though, got a one-year deal and is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. Should the Commanders cut Norwell and not re-sign Turner? Should both Commanders be gone? Yeah, I mean, if Trey Turner's back, then it doesn't matter what they do across the board. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to take an unnecessary shot of the guy because he had a pretty major quad injury early in the year, and I think that played into some of the terrible guard play that we saw early from him. But ultimately, even as he kind of, you know, improved with his health throughout the year and, and play improved some, it was a huge issue. And I think when you look at um, some of these injuries that we've had at center, the past two years, part of that comes from poor guard play. The the guards are in weird places behind. They're being pushed back behind the centers. There are defensive linemen around the center's legs who shouldn't necessarily be there if the guards are doing their doing their jobs. And so when you look at some of these, you know, like guys who are being rolled up on and you know broken ankles and legs and you know torn you know uh, knee ligaments and stuff like that, I think a lot of that comes from you know, just kind of poor interior line play across the board. And that's why I look at Chase Rie and, and and think that, you know, I'm not totally concerned about the injury situation with him. But when you look at the guards as a whole, you have, I think Norwell will be back. I don't know they necessarily should be, but I think he will be. He was, you know, I guess, I don't want to say good or solid. He was there. He was okay. He wasn't bad. Uh, there were times that he was bad, but he's pretty good. A uh, pretty good run blocker, and I think that if you kind of shore up the, you know, the the spots around him, I think he can continue to contribute some. And certainly, he's somebody that Ron Rivera knows well from his time in uh, Carolina. And uh, you know, I think that loyalty will 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 keep him around. And then you know, you look at depth. You have Sadiq Charles and uh, and Chris Paul, who uh, 
I think Sadiq has been a frustrating player for this uh, organization and for the coaching staff and that he just hasn't progressed in the way that they wanted him to. Um, but I think also part of that comes from this uh, Ron Rivera, Martin, Martin Mayhew kind of uh, idea of having this positional, of having these players with positional flex. And you certainly need to have guys who can step in in a pinch and play different positions. But when you're an okay tackle and an okay guard, you're not good at either of those. And to me, I want them to start kind of committing to players um, at that position. And as we talk about guard, I think Sam Cosme is, you know, plays a part in it. And this organization needs to make a declaration. Sam Cosme is a guard. Sam Cosme is a tackle. And let him play the season there. Let him work the entire offseason and, you know, kind of figure out where that plays out, where, where that plays out best. And you figure out kind of what player you have there. To me, Sam Cosby is a tackle. So that's where I have him. But they're going to need to add a lot of guard depth. And ultimately, I think they're going to have to find a, a starting right guard as well. Interesting what you said about Chase Roulier. And yeah, the Samuel Cosme scenario from this season really was something we, for much of the Commanders 2022 season, had this unusual right tackle rotation involving Cosme and Cornelius Lucas. And then we eventually had Cosme also rotating with Trey Turner at right guard. Uh, Was all of this rotating of Cosme more of an endorsement or an indictment of him? Yeah, I mean, certainly at the beginning it was out of necessity because they just didn't have enough offensive linemen to fill the fill their roles. Plus, he had the the broken fingers hand that he had to deal with. So, I think they wanted to move him inside to guard early on, um, but just didn't have the bodies to do it. And then once he had that hand injury, he, playing guard with a with a club on your hand is nearly impossible. It's a very difficult situation. But I think when you look big picture, it it was a little detrimental to kind of his growth in that, you know, he's still a young player and he needs all the reps that he can get at the position that he's going to play, if you will. And when you are, you know, when you're vying for a playoff spot and you're trying to work your way in, you know, you need play, you need your best players on the field. And so I understand them working him in at guard and working him in a tackle a little bit, but it felt a little bit like they were dipping their toe in the water. They weren't quite sure where they wanted him to play. They weren't quite sure where he was going to play best. And so they kind of, you know, dip their toe in the water instead of, you know, diving headlong in. And I think that's, you know, especially with a, with a young player who needs to develop at a particular position, when you start rotating him around and making him split practice reps and learn two positions, I think ultimately, you know, when you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. When you're trying to play right guard and right tackle, you have no tackle. You have, you have no position. So uh, to me, I, I think as far as like long-term development of this offensive line, I think making a declaration to Sam Cosby is going to be a very important part of trying to figure out how to build this thing out. We are conducting a proper deep dive on the commander's offensive line with Mitch Tischler of NBC Sports Washington. So you would keep Sam Cosme at right tackle. Uh, The commanders last March did re-sign Cornelius Lucas as an unrestricted free agent to a two-year contract. Uh, Should the team keep Lucas as a swing tackle or cut him? I like what Lucas has done for this team. Um, Ultimately, I think Charles Leno is the better player between the two, I think, pretty clearly. So to me, I'm approaching Leno and seeing if he wants to restructure his deal. And then you have a little bit of the support where you have Leno could help a young left tackle as well as potentially if you have to slide Cosby. If Cosby doesn't work out a tackle, then you have that kind of insurance of having Leno as your as your backup swing tackle. But... Leno's played, you know, relatively well. He's struggled at the end of last year. He's played relatively well the past two years. I don't know how open he would be to a restructure. And ultimately, if you if you approach a player about a restructure, you're essentially asking them to take a pay cut. And you're essentially saying, hey, you're either going to take a pay cut or we're going to cut you. So I think, you know, the ball's going to be in Leno's court about how he wants to handle the situation. And ultimately, if Leno agrees that he would take a little bit of a pay cut, then I think you cut Lucas and keep Leno as kind of that backup, that backup swing tackle. If you end up cutting Cornelius Lucas, you know you save about two and a half or three million dollars or so. But I don't know that he's getting picked up quickly uh, in the free agent market. I mean, he was a free agent last year, and kind of nobody really came calling except for the Commanders. That's why he was back. Um, he talked about wanting a you know starting role and a and a bigger a bigger role on a team and. Ultimately, that never manifested itself. So I think you can cut a guy like Cornelius Lucas and, and have him kind of in your back pocket, uh, and, you know, if necessary, 
break glass, Paul Cornelius to come back. So that's where I, that's kind of how I approach it. It's tricky with Charles Leno Jr. He, all things considered, has done a pretty good job for Washington over his two seasons with the team. He has been remarkably durable. Uh, he has not missed a regular season game since the start of the 2015 season. Uh, the Commanders in January 2022 signed Leno to a three-year contract extension. But I also would say that his 2021 season was better than his 2022 season. The 2023 season will be his age 32 season. So it is time for the team to move on from Leno as it's starting left tackle, in your opinion. Yeah, I think you're at a point where, you know, I think commanders, Washington football, Redskins fans, for the better part of 20 years were, you know, had great left tackle play between uh, Chris Samuels and then obviously Trent Williams. And I don't think that, you know, folks understand how much having a stalwart left tackle helps the rest of the offensive line. Because you have a guy that you can leave out there on an island at left tackle. Then that allows you to slide protections to, you know, the other parts of the line that struggle. You can have a a running back stay in and kind of help out the guards in the middle of that offensive line if they're, you know, if they're struggling. Tight ends can help the the right tackle. You know, having a, a, a... a guy that you can that you can trust out there solo is so important. And to me, I think you have to draft a left tackle. You have to finding a, that that guy in free agency is going to cost you an arm and a leg. And you know we know all the money situation things that are happening in Washington. I think they need to go out and draft that left tackle, throw him out there. You know that we're 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 building you to be our next Trent Williams. We're building you to be our next Chris Samuel. We're building you to be our next guy that we that set it and forget it and and commanders fans can go buy a 70 you know 74 jersey and not worry about it for the next 10 years because that guy's a stud and to me leno is is a holding place a holding player until you find that guy and so if they don't commit to the left tackle in the draft then i don't think you do anything with leno keep him on the roster you know he's perfectly fine out there but i think it's important when you look big picture at the health of the o-line and kind of the growth of the offense as a whole you have to start. Uh, you have to start using your draft capital early on in the draft at key positions, and to me, left tackle is number one. One of the things that was interesting as the Commanders' 2022 season went on was that both head coach Rod Rivera and the team's offensive coordinator at the time, Scott Turner, indicated, if not outright said, that a good bit of the pass protection problems were on the quarterback Taylor Heineke. Uh, We also know that the team's initial QB1 for the season, Carson Wentz, uh, doesn't exactly have the greatest reputation for handling pressure. Uh, Was the offensive line via the quarterbacks made to look worse than it actually was? I think the offensive line struggled plenty last year. And I think that Ron Rivera and Scott Turner and folks were trying to take a little heat off of them uh, as the season went. I, I think that if you go back two years, I think... Uh, Taylor Heineke made that offensive line look much better than it was with his scrambling, his ability to get out of the pocket. I think you saw last season that clearly the offense matured, changed. They didn't want Heineke scrambling quite as much as he did. And so maybe it made the offensive line look a little bit worse. I mean, you know, it's hard to go from a top five offensive line two years ago to a bottom five offensive line in one season. And you can point to injuries and, you know, there are a lot of injuries, you know, two years ago as well. So, I think that I think that kind of what you saw from the O line is who they are, um, and and the coaching staff did try and you know take a little bit of heat off them. Nobody knew that offense better than uh, Taylor Heineke, right? That's all Scott Turner talked about was that you know he had a PhD in Turner's offense, and so he, Taylor Heineke knew where to put those guys. He knew what the correct calls were. I just don't think they were very good. I'm totally with you on that. The commander's overall offense for this season, of course, was not good. When you look at three big factors, the quarterback play, the offensive line play, and the since-fired offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, which factor was most responsible for the commander's bad offense this season? I think I would get, it's hard not to give the quarterback the majority of the blame because at the end of the day, you see good quarterbacks with bad offensive lines and questionable play callers go out there and make make plays. So I think ultimately the majority of that has to go to the quarterback. I'd say maybe 30, 40% to the quarterback and then I'd give 30 each to the O-line and to uh, Scott Turner. I think, you know, obviously uh, Scott Turner 
left his quarterback and his O line out to dry a fair amount. All the empty, all the empty calls. You know, all the shotgun uh, third and one, second and ones. You know, calling the the rollouts for Taylor Heineke on you know short yardage plays where you know that he doesn't have the arm strength for it. Calling the seven step drops for Carson Wentz when you know that he's a guy that's going to hold on to the ball. I mean, I just. There were there were a lot of you know uh, head scratchers at different points along the season with you know with 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 how everything was kind of handled. But at the end of the day, when you look at the O line, you know so much of that is mano a mano. You know you line up five on five, five on four, five on seven, whatever it is, and you got to block the guy in front of you. And too often, guys were running absolutely free at the quarterback. And so you know I think you divvy up the pie pretty pretty evenly. But at the end of the day. You know, the guy with the ball in his hands is the guy that's got to make plays, and that didn't happen last year. No, it did not. <laughs> no, it did not. This is kind of random, but what is the deal with Eric Flowers? Uh, the commanders this past March 16th, hours before the start of the NFL's new league year at 4 p.m. Eastern, released left guard Eric Flowers. No NFL team has signed Flowers since the commanders released him last March 16th. Uh, this despite him still being pretty young. Uh, despite him having been durable, and despite him having done a pretty good job for Washington at left guard in his 2-1 season stints with the team, the 2019 and 2021 seasons, have you heard why Eric Flowers has remained unsigned? It's certainly odd that he's out of the NFL in total. I know his issue in Washington was he wanted to get paid, and Washington was not ready to pay him. And ultimately, I think that you know, when you have a, a, a guy who's proven that he can be an NFL player and obviously struggled out of tackle, but moved into guard and was pretty solid. The fact that he's sitting on the sidelines right now tells you it's a money situation that I think he might be holding out for, for more money than, than he deserves. But I also think there's a portion of it that Washington fans get so enamored with their guys and are so concerned that they're going to leave and do something great elsewhere. This is a not a, this is not a top 10 roster in the NFL. The, the guys are gonna the guys are gonna drop off the back end of it, and I think Cornelius Lucas is a good example this season. Charles Leno might be a good example. I, I don't know that there's gonna be a huge market uh, for him if he ends up, you know, leaving Washington. I think these are guys who are solid players, and it's great to root for your guy and love that he's playing well for you and doing all these different things. But also recognize that you know other teams in the league might not value those guys quite as highly. I always laugh about all the Simi Cobbs and you know, different <laughs> wide receivers over the years that leave and fans, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're letting this guy go. And you never hear from him again. And I think a lot, I think a lot of that happens in Washington, maybe more than other franchises. But I think with Eric Flowers, there's at least a, a, a tinge of that uh, where, you know, folks looked a little higher at him than maybe the rest of the league did. Yes, I believe you call that Ashburn syndrome. <laughs> uh, the offensive coordinator search, uh, it continues, and it may well be taking a while simply because the commanders really want Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. but what do you think will happen with the commanders at offensive coordinator, and what would you like to see happen? I think that, I think they're waiting for Eric Bieniemy. I think that's that's why, and honestly, there's no rush right now. I mean, None of these guys that they that the that the team has interviewed for offensive coordinator has taken any other jobs. So the entire group is still out there available to them. Um, I think they're waiting for the Chiefs season to end to interview Bieniemy, and ultimately, I think he's your best option. Um, I know that you know Ron and, and Martin talked about you know wanting to run the ball and you know the what three yards a cloud of dust. You know, two thirds of the time they want to run on first and second now, whatever. I think that was just kind of them speaking off the cuff. I think if they have an opportunity to run a more dynamic offense, they will. I mean, Scott Turner was here for, you know, for, uh, for, for, for three seasons and he, uh, he had a lot of leeway in, in what he called, I think on the offense throughout the time that he was here. And you look at, you know, obviously the back end of last season, I think probably had a couple, uh, couple folks in his ear telling him to run the ball a little more and and what to do but he had a little he had a lot of leeway before that I think whoever comes in to be the OC here is going to have a lot of leeway because there is no kind of reigning offensive mind in the you know upper coaching staff you know uh, front office area and so I think that's what makes the commander's job a little bit interesting is that Ron Rivera is a defensive guy he's a defensive 
you know, play linebacker, defensive coach, all those different things. Like, whatever OC comes in is going to be able to more or less run their run their offense. And you know, there are a lot of hits on Bienemy and talk about why he hasn't gotten the head coaching jobs or whatever. I don't care whether he's called plays or didn't call plays in Kansas City. He's between a, a genius offensive mind and Andy Reid and one of the most creative quarterbacks the NFL has ever seen in Patrick Mahomes. I can I can only guess that he's picked up a lot of offensive ideas and and knowledge over the years uh, between those two. And I would love to see him have an opportunity to blossom here. So I think he's the he's the best option. Yeah, and Eric Bieniemy definitely gets some credit for the Chiefs' great offensive success. He's very involved in their offensive game planning. It's not like he's sitting at a corner playing games on his cell phone while Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes do all of the work. I think with all the head coaching jobs they didn't get, that's become the narrative is that folks think that in the offensive meetings, he's just sitting there twiddling his thumbs and not involved in what the Chiefs are doing. And it's just, it's ludicrous that the league has created this narrative and it's ludicrous that he's not having an opportunity to to do something a little bit more so hopefully uh you know ron and andy being tight and you know that there's a way to to make that thing work and i know that we just made mention of ashburn syndrome but i don't think that eric Bieniemy wanting to become the commander's offensive coordinator is like ludicrous he would be calling plays he does not currently do that for the chiefs he would have a nice group of receivers and running backs with which to work. And the bar would be low if he could just get the commander's offense to being decent. Just take the offense from being really bad to decent. Uh, That would be viewed as impressive. Mitch Tischler of NBC Sports Washington. Great stuff on the commander's offensive line and more. Uh, Mitch, thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Well, the NBA trade deadline is this Thursday, February 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Our Wizards have gone from a season-best six-game winning streak to now three consecutive losses. Uh, We had the back-to-back choke job losses over the weekend. Friday night, the 124-116 loss to the Portland Trailblazers at Capital One Arena. The Wizards in that game blew a 20-point second-quarter lead. Saturday evening, a 125-123 loss at the Brooklyn Nets. The Wizards in that game blew a 23-point first quarter quarter lead and a 21 point third quarter lead. And then on Monday night, we had another Wizards game. Uh, The good news is that the Wiz in this game did not blow a lead. The bad news is that the Wiz in this game uh, never had a lead. The Wizards got smashed. Uh, They fell to 24 and 29 with a 114 91 loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers at Capital One Arena on Monday night. Uh, The Wizards were without two key players, arguably the team's top two players, depending on where you rank. Chris Tapps, Porzingis, uh, Bradley Beal did not play for a second consecutive game due to left foot soreness, and Kyle Kuzma did not play due to the sprint left ankle that he suffered in the Wizards' loss at the Nets on Saturday evening. And there just is not a lot to say about this game. The Wizards are not a good team to begin with. Uh, the Wizards without Beal and Kuzma are very much in trouble. And the Wizards on Monday night were facing a very good team of the Cavaliers. The Cavs now are 34-22. and uh, The Wizards never held a lead in the game. Uh, the Wizards went just 6-28 of 28 on threes and allowed the Cavaliers to go 12-29 on threes. The Wizards got outscored in the paint by 20 points. Uh, the Wizards got outscored in the paint 58-38. Uh, So bad were things for the Wizards that two Wizards who had not been playing did play. Will Barton and Johnny Davis. Yes, we had Will Barton and Johnny Davis sightings. Uh, Will Barton on Monday night played for 27 minutes, 11 seconds off the bench in what was his first game since January 25th. Uh, due to a string of DNP CDs, a string of did not play due to coaches' decisions. Uh, Barton has just been buried on the bench. He, on Monday night, did have 15 points and six rebounds. He went just one of four on threes and just two of four on free throws, but did go five of eight on twos. And Johnny Davis, who the Wizards took with the number 10 pick in the 2022 NBA draft, he, on Monday night, played For 6 minutes, 17 seconds off the bench, marking his first playing time in an NBA game since December 28th. Yes, December 28th. Johnny Davis, again, the number 10 pick 
in the 2022 NBA draft. He had not played in an NBA game in this calendar year. It has been frightening, the lack of playing time for Johnny Davis in this his rookie season. He has been relegated to the NBA G League. He has dealt with some injury, but something that we've been talking about on the podcast, the Wizards' bad drafting, uh, that is epitomized by what's going on with Johnny Davis. Now, look, what you hope for is that he's someone who, as time goes on, can become a good player. That does happen with NBA players. You know, you can't just completely give up on an NBA rookie, especially a guy who was a number 10 overall pick. And NBA rookies can go from having like nothing rookie seasons to then eventually actually becoming pretty good players. So you hope like heck that that is what happens with Johnny Davis, but clearly he's not off to a good start. And clearly the Wizards, given their draft history for decades now, uh, do not deserve some benefit of the doubt. Uh, Also, Anthony Gill on Monday night was back. He returned from having been in the NBA's health and safety protocols. One more game for the Wiz before the NBA trade deadline on Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Next up for the Wizards, home to the Charlotte Hornets, Wednesday night at 7. Some baseball for you. We on Monday had news with the Nationals and news with the Orioles. Uh, The Nats on Monday afternoon announced that they had agreed with center fielder Victor Robles on a one-year contract for the 2023 season with a club option for the 2024 season, avoiding arbitration. Uh, Robles had been the lone arbitration-eligible Nat with whom the team had not reached a deal. Second consecutive offseason in which the Nats and Robles were headed for an arbitration hearing, but then reached a deal before the case was heard. So the 2023 season will be just Victor Robles's age 26 season. Yeah, that's it. He still is young, but his peak sure seems like a long time ago at this point. Robles in the Nats 2019 World Series championship season was really good. Uh, He, for the 2019 regular season, had a wins above replacement per baseball reference of 4.4. That's quite good. Uh, But Robles, over the last three seasons, 2020 through 2022, has been horrendous as a batter. And he has had a number of base running blunders. And his biggest rank, his defense, uh, dipped down quite a bit in the 2020 and 2021 seasons, although was back to being quite good last season. You know, Robles for the 2022 regular season did have a wins above replacement for baseball reference of 1.8. That's not nothing. Uh, But the overwhelming majority of that was due to his defense. Uh, Robles' OPS plus was just 70. Uh, His OPS plus for the last three regular seasons combined is just 69. OPS plus is OPS on base percentage plus slugging percentage that's adjusted for a player's league at home ballpark. 100 is average. Above 100 is above average. Below 100 is below average. Again, Victor Robles' OPS plus for the last three regular seasons combined is just 69. That's well below 100. That's really bad. The Nats' top three prospects are all outfielders, James Wood, Robert Hassel III, and Elijah Green. But all three guys would seem to be at least a season or two away from the majors. And so Victor Robles in the 2023 season uh, will have another shot at reclaiming his past glory. Uh, Meantime, we out of nowhere (laughs) on Monday had this. Multiple reports that the intra-family litigation for Orioles ownership. The Angelos family apparently is over. Uh, A good friend of the Al Galdi podcast, Jeff Barker of the Baltimore Sun, he broke the news in the overnight hours, Sunday into Monday. You never know when news will break. Uh, So just to reset, uh, Peter Angelos is 93. He has been in failing health for years. And his two sons, Louis and John Angelos, had been at each other's throats. Uh, Louis Angelos last June 9th filed a lawsuit against his brother, John Angelos, and their mother, Georgia Angelos, for control of the team. Uh, That lawsuit and resulting litigation yielded a number of nasty 
accusations, including this, Lewis in a filing accusing John and Georgia of having, quote, systematically drained, end quote, a bank account held by Peter, quote, to insulate, end quote, John and Georgia from potential creditors, among other reasons. The filing stated that the account in 2017 held more than $65 million, but that now the account only holds around $400,000. Anyway, now all of the litigation apparently is done. Uh, per court documents, Georgia Angelos and her sons, John and Lewis, have agreed that, quote, all claims, including all counterclaims and defenses asserted therein, be dismissed with prejudice, end quote. Now, I am no lawyer, okay, trust me on that, uh, but in reading about this, the phrase, quote, with prejudice, end quote, from a legal standpoint, indicates that the litigation in this matter is done and can't or won't be reignited. Uh, why exactly the Angelos' intra-family litigation is done, we do not know. I do not think that they've all made peace, okay? I would think that they realized correctly that nobody was winning in this. I also would think that Major League Baseball very much wanted this litigation to stop and likely pressured the Angelos' for this litigation to stop. There is a lot to be thinking about with Orioles' ownership right now. You have, like I said, Peter Angelos continuing to be in failing health. You have a belief that has been in effect for years that when Peter passes, the O's will be sold. We have been told that on this podcast multiple times, including by sports business expert Marty Conway, who used to work for the O's. He said this most recently on episode 490 of this podcast. Uh, you have the fact that the Orioles' lease with the Maryland Stadium Authority ends on December 31st of this year. You have attendance for Orioles games at Oriole Park at Camden Yards having been a woeful for years now. And by the way, the Orioles' attendance problems predate the Orioles rebuild. The city of Baltimore is not in good shape. Everybody knows that. And you have the never-ending Masson dispute with the Nats, who, of course, remain in an ownership uncertainty of their own with the Nats owners, the learners, uh, right now not getting close to what they feel like is fair value for the Nats due to the Masson dispute. And what's so wild is that all of this with the O's is happening as the O's, from a baseball standpoint, are in the best shape that they've been in in years. The Orioles' rebuild is essentially over. The team is loaded with promising young players and promising prospects. The O's in the 2022 regular season went 83 and 79. They joined the 1899 St. Louis Perfectos and the 1890 Louisville Colonels as the only major league teams ever to finish 500 or better in a regular season after recording at least 110 losses in the prior regular season. The O's last season took a massive step forward. If you are an O's fan, from purely a baseball standpoint, there is so much to be excited about with the O's right now. But from a non-baseball standpoint, there is a lot of uncertainty with the O's right now. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 503. We'll include a lot for you on the Commanders. Also, I'll talk college basketball. Maryland is at Michigan State Tuesday night at 9. And no, the Terrapins were not ranked in the Associated Press Top 25 poll that came out on Monday. The Terps were among others receiving votes. Uh, Virginia was down two spots to number eight. And speaking of the Cavaliers, uh, they are home to number 22 NC State Tuesday night at nine. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Strategery.